1: Welcome back in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen from briefing.com to talk a little economist activity, economic activity, a little economist angle. How are you, Mr. Rosen?
2: Good. How about yourself? I'm okay.
1: I'm a little fatigued. I feel like I need a vacation from just the la- end of summer activities. <laughs>
2: It's only just begun. I know. Um,
1: so let's talk a little bit about, you know, the uh, start of the month of September showed that the jobs numbers that last week weren't that good. Were you Was there anything impressive in the jobs numbers that you saw?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you have to parse through the details. The, the headline numbers were pretty ugly, and you saw some downward revisions to uh, the previous couple months. But if you looked at aggregate income that come out of the employment report, so basically the change in hours worked plus the change in hourly earnings, we actually had a pretty good boost of, uh, of wage growth. You know, even though the headline number was kind of disappointing, and uh, you know, what was nice about that was that in the, in the previous month in in July we had actually a fall in wages. And the only reason why consumption was able to maintain without consumers pulling out of their savings was because the stock market was doing so well. Now that we had a stock market that's pulling back quite a bit, the fact that wages are uh, increasing will give some, some buffer to a uh, potential loss in consumption that, that normally comes from the, uh, the wealth effect in that.
1: There's something called water cooler talk, where you get around the water cooler and you kind of like talk about business stories and, you know, popular events in life. Um, I work in a radio station, TV station, and a financial planning firm, Um, New Focus Financial. If you go with the financial planners, you're like, hey, everything's great. The stock market's reflecting that. If you go with the radio station, there's a lot of downsizing. There's a lot of, you know, it doesn't feel very good. If you go with TV, uh, TV's just fake. There's not a lot of news and news. As an economist, what are you seeing out there? Because I'm having a tough time figuring out this economy, to be quite honest with you.
2: I mean, it's a flat, low-growth environment. There's not very many winners. There's not very many losers. I mean, you're basically seeing, you know, small gains across the board. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people like me have not been looking at the, uh, like the drop in the labor force participation rate as a structural problem, but more of a cyclical problem. You know, we're, we're not seeing you know, one sector fall off the map and growth elsewhere. What we're seeing is just this ugly, slow growth occurring in just about every sector. And that says that there's just a a simple lack of overall aggregate demand, and that's demand for consumable goods and for investment goods. And that's keeping the economy from growing at what we normally consider potential around 3%. What's interesting to note about...
1: You know, the the angles that you and I constantly see, um, we are kind of jaded because you just mentioned labor participation force. What's that mean to the average person out there?
2: Well, the way the unemployment rate is calculated, it's not simply just all the people that are unemployed and what percent of the population. It's actually what percent of the population that's currently looking for or has a job that does not have a job. Okay. So if you're retired, you're not included in the labor force. Also, if you've been looking for a job, let's say, for you know, a year or two, and you're just so frustrated that you can't find anything that you stop, you're not included in the labor force. So both those people, you know, even though one would probably take a job if they were able to, would not be counted as unemployed. So the labor force participation rate measures just how many people have left the labor force and stop participating. And it's dropped to like a 35-year low. So people, you know, are naturally going, this unemployment rate, which is at 7.3%, looks good on paper, at least relative to where it used to be. But a lot of that is just due to the fact that people became so discouraged to finding a job that they stopped looking and they're not, you know, they're no longer counted.
1: I guess I'm... Am I making my point that the average American feels a little left out, whereas you and I, we kind of work in the financial media world, and these are just statistics to us. But, like, my board op in radio, you know, he lives at home because he can't find enough wages out there to move out. So he drives a ridiculous amount just to basically keep employed, even though he's really not that employed because he's not living his own life. I'm feeling odd today. Are you with me at all?
2: No, you know, I mean, it, 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 there was an interesting report put out yesterday in the New York Times showing, uh, you know, that the top 10% of uh, of all of the, the wealth, 50% of the wealth is now congregated in the top 10%, which is the most it's been since uh, the Roaring Twenties. So, you know, you're definitely having winners and losers in terms of. Wealth, because you're seeing the stock market outperform wages, which is you know naturally going to push the upper earners to earn more because they're more invested in the stock market. So you know if you go to around you know typical middle America, you know the 50 percentile they're not going to be feeling, you know, that we're seeing strong economic gains or any economic gains for that matter. They're going to notice that their wages have been stagnant for a decade and that the employment prospects remain soft and, you know, potential wage growth you know, remains minimal. You know, and a lot of this stuff is that... Now, corporations would rather hoard cash and pay dividends, which boosts stock prices and keeps the stock market afloat, but it doesn't necessarily pass down to the average consumer.
1: Okay. Anything that you're working on right now, because I'm desperately want to change the topic to things that interest you <laughs> versus things that intrigue me? I'm speaking with Dr. Jeff Rose and uh, Briefing.com, Chief Economist. Anything intriguing to you other than the Fed meeting coming up?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about the auto industry. You know, we we okay. saw great numbers uh, in terms of sales from for the August numbers and beginning of January and beginning of September. Excuse me. And a lot of that was boosted because uh, of seasonal effects. You had an extra weekend plus the Labor Day uh, holiday included in those August numbers. But you're starting to hear you know, increases in production, and I don't know if those gains that we're seeing are necessarily going to hold considering that uh, long-term rates have edged up and, and, and just interest rates in general are rising. So if demand flows because affordability conditions weaken, but manufacturers are producing as if we're going to have these you know, massive gains every month, we're going to left with a, another glut of supply of, of uh, motor vehicles, and that's going to lead to another pullback in manufacturing, at least a stall in manufacturing. And I'm really you know, afraid of that.
1: Morgan Stanley came out with a note yesterday that I don't know if you're referring to or not, but Morgan Stanley said there's just too many car companies chasing too few consumers. And how long can that last? Uh, 2013, 16.7 million autos sold by 2015. What well, would be at 18 million? But when does it top out? Because I drive my cars to death. Um, would that be a structural problem for the United States that we would have to deal with?
2: Yeah, yes. definitely. I mean, one, okay. of, one of the problems is that people are holding on to their car much longer than they used to. And a lot of that is, you know, because the quality of the car has gotten better. You know, if Ford and, and GM start making, you know, cars that break down again, you'll probably have to replace them much more often. But, you know, I, I don't see that happening. So... You know you're, the population growth rate is slow, and you're not going to get as many new drivers. So that's going to be halted. So your entire process then is either going into fleet or trying to, uh, you know, trying to push people into buying a new car, even though their, their car runs well right now.
1: And yet, companies like Ford have spent billions of dollars retooling so that they can add capacity. Um, So, housing, is it starting to get tired? Because you're kind of saying, and I might put in words in your mouth, but you're kind of saying autos are getting a little tired as far as demand.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm just as concerned about housing. But the production side, which is what goes into GDP, hasn't accelerated to a point where we're going to see massive pullbacks, which would, you know, hurt the economy. So, if we look at just the affordability conditions weakening, What you may see now is prices start to level off instead of on this upward move, and and that, again, hurts the wealth effect and it hurts future consumption, but it won't hurt the economy nearly as much as I think that, you know, if auto manufacturers are producing too much and they actually have to stop production or or slow down production.
1: So sum this all up for us. Uh, Give me a, a big picture. How are we doing economically speaking and where do we go from here?
2: Well, I think a lot of it's going to be dependent on uh, what the Fed does next week. I think that okay. uh, if rates keep going up, we're going to be in, in trouble. And uh, I don't think we're going to go into a contraction, but I think that you know, 1% to 2% growth may be all we can get.
1: Is that a 10-year trend? Is, how long do we stay at 1% to 2% growth?
2: Yeah, you know, it's foreseeable futures, the way I've been putting it, because I, I just don't know. I mean, things can change, and we can go back to what we normally you know expect as a normal recovery. But we haven't gotten out of the trap that we're in. You know, and a Japanese-type growth period, you know, has already been you know started. So it's just going to be very difficult to get out of the liquidity trap without just an influx of spending uh, either on the fiscal side or some kind of motivating animal spirits on the on the private side and without that we're going to just be at this ugly sluggish growth
1: thanks very much we will pick up where do we go from here next week that's dr jeff rosen chief economist briefing.com i'm intrigued one two percent tough to win in that environment 2 to 4% GDP growth, easy to win. 0%, no winners. We'll talk about that next Wednesday, 8:30, with the chief Economist from Briefing.com, Dr. Jeff Rosen. you so small, and you tell me you want to be begging. I just never think of you as the kind of. AM 1220, KDOW traffic.
2: We've got a Jack big break in back.